the Yoga Therapy Hour. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Catherine Justice, who has more letters after her name than I can count. She's a physical therapist. She's had an integrative medicine fellowship. She's a certified yoga therapist through the IAYT, and she's a craniosacral therapist. So one of the things that I find really interesting about this interview is looking at this intersection between physical therapy, yoga therapy, where do they meet? Why would you want to do one versus the other in terms of going to school? And I think what you might find in the end is that if you decided to go to PT school, physical therapy school, it's going to be many classes of prerequisites to even apply to the very competitive PT programs. Then you've got several years of PT school. So you're looking at, for a lot of places, over $100,000 or more. And it may be that it's not a job that you're going to love because it may not be integrative physical therapy as you see Catherine has made a position for herself. So that's the downside. The upside is you don't have to be an entrepreneur. You can probably get a job with a steady paycheck and healthcare benefits. And I really ask people to think about if you cannot find an integrative physical therapy position because a lot of them don't exist, you have to create them. Are you going to be happy doing that all day? And, you know, the way she describes it is that a conventional physical therapist is really about function, how to get your arm to move or your leg to run or, you know, your hip to feel better versus an integrative PT is about the body mind connection, body mind spirit connection. So, you know, taking all of that into consideration, it might be that becoming a yoga therapist is less expensive financially, less time and energy. And a lot of the things that you really, really want to be doing, you can do as a yoga therapist. Now, the downside is you may have to be more of an entrepreneur. You may have to create your own business. Now, you might be able to get a job at a hospital. I think these jobs are starting to emerge and we're starting to see yoga therapists get hired. So it's not that it's not possible. I think in the next few years as we go into the, I think they're called CPT codes with insurance companies. I think that's right around the corner. And so we're going to get hired much more often. But I think the question we have to ask ourselves when we're making a big life decision about, should I become a physical therapist or a yoga therapist or an occupational therapist or a psychologist is what's most important in your value system? Is the job security more important? Are you okay with maybe doing a job that isn't 100% what you want to do to get that security? Or are you someone that you really want to do the work of a yoga therapist and maybe you don't even have the money or the time or the energy or the grades to get into physical therapy school? So I think they're both great options. And Catherine and I go into great detail about the pros and cons of all of this and then what you might be able to do with that as a career and all the wonderful things she's doing in the world. So I think it's a really fascinating interview. And I just want to say, if these are themes that you want to explore, whether you're looking to go to yoga therapy school or PT school or OT school or become a marriage and family counselor, contact us at The Optimal State and let us know. I can send you videos of me interviewing PTs and OTs and psychologists, really flushing out all of these themes to help you find the right place for you to land. It's a big commitment 
to go to school and to figure out what you want to do with your life. And I think taking the time to really research it and find the place for you is super, super important work. So we are going to head into our interview with Catherine Justice, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. Thank you for coming today, and we really appreciate you, our listeners. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. My name is Amy Wheeler, and I'm your host. The Yoga Therapy Hour is here to support you on your mental, emotional, and spiritual journey. We talk about things like nervous system regulation, spiritual connection, how to be more involved in your community, how to communicate well, how to manage your mental health. There are so many things that we are excited to share with you in season five of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast, and we hope that you will share it with your friends, family, colleagues. All right, let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Catherine. It's so nice to meet you and to spend this time with you today. Thank you, Amy. It's just a joy for me to be here. And who do you have with you? Well, this is Lotus the Cat. And she is a drama queen when it comes to Zoom. If there's a Zoom happening, she really wants to be front and center. So so we welcome you. Clicking or an ear, but. Okay. I've just told you I am a cat lady. So all the cats that want to join us, it's fine with me. (laughs) So speaking to the cat lady choir here. (laughs) So Catherine, tell our audience, our listeners, where are you located in the world? So I am in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is the ancestral lands of the Dakota people Mm. in South Minneapolis. Thank you for saying that. And tell us, where do you work? You work at a place called Hennepin County? Yeah. So I work at Hennepin Healthcare, which is a hospital system that serves all of Hennepin County, which is sort of Minneapolis and several of the surrounding suburbs it's a hospital system. So it includes a level one trauma center and then a bunch of other services and neighborhood clinics, but it's a safety net hospital system. So in our level one trauma center, no one is ever turned away for care, no matter what their insurance or any other status is. And we accept kind of all of the medical assistance insurance and Medicare, Medicaid, and we have insurance plan specifically designed for Hennepin Health for people who are uninsured that they can get an insurance plan for care with us. Beautiful. So safety net system. And what is your main role there? What do you do all day long? So my job right now, which is not the job I started with when I started working there, but my job right now is I'm the program manager for integrative health. When I first started at Hennepin, I started as an integrative physical therapist. And I still do have a clinical practice at Hennepin Health where I do see patients are a very small part of my job. But the big part of my job right now is program coordinating. So doing programming work through the integrative health division. And did you create that position for yourself? Or because um, a lot of people in yoga therapy, they get it in one way, but then they create their dream job. You know, that's funny that you put it that way. So yes and no. A few years ago before I had this position when I was just working clinically, I was blessed to be a part of what they called then the Emerging Leaders Program, which was like a leadership training for employees. And when I interviewed to be part of the program, the 
person who interviewed me, she asked like, what's your career path that you see yourself on? And I said, well, the job I want is here at Hennepin Health, but it doesn't exist yet. And she's like, well, then you'll have to make it. And I said, that sounds great. I think I'll do that. And so that got me into the program. But the job actually was created by my boss, who's Dr. Arthi Prasad. And she came to Hennepin as the chief of the Department of Medicine. And when she came, she said, if you're going to bring me to be chief of this department, you're going to bring integrative medicine along with me because it's the air that I breathe and it comes with me. And if you want me for this job, you also have to have a program manager for integrative health and you have to have a research staff and you have to have all of these other things. And she got the job and it took a while for all these other jobs that she said, if you want me, you have to have this, this and this and this, this and that. It took a while and they were not happening. And so she finally insisted that this program manager role get opened up. And as soon as it did, I was like, that's it. There's my dream job here. So I was lucky enough to get the job. And then since I've taken it on, there's been, you know, it was sort of an undefined role because no one had had this position before. So then Dr. Prasad and I were able to sort of like craft it and figure out where my skills would fit best and what kind of programming we wanted. So it was mostly her vision that got the job there, but it was her and me working together to figure out what this job actually is. I love a strong woman that says, if you want me, this is what you're going to need to do. I know. I mean, I want to be that woman one day. I'm not there yet, but yeah, nor am I, but I, let's just say I love working for a woman who that's her way of working. I think find it very inspiring, very refreshing. And I feel well mentored to someday be that woman myself. Yeah. (laughs) Work in progress. Yep. Totally. So how did you personally come on this journey of kind of integrating yoga therapy and integrative physical therapy? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I had my very first experience with yoga when I was 16 years old and I was doing like a weekend theater workshop. And it was part of, I think we had a choice of either taking dance or yoga as this workshop. And I never felt confident in my body. I was not a dancer. I, in fact, like really quite hated my body at that age. So I really signed up for yoga just so that I wouldn't have to do dance. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember exactly everything that we did in the yoga class, but I know that there was some asana and there was some breathing and there was a shavasana. And I had this pretty profound experience that I didn't really quite know how to name at the time. But what I can look back on and see now is that it was really an early moment of becoming friends with my body again, a really early moment with an experience of embodiment. And it felt important enough that, you know, I was 16, I had just gotten my driver's license and a friend of mine who had taken the class with me and had a similar experience. She was a year younger, so she was 15. So the two of us found a yoga studio in our neighborhood and just signed up for, I believe it was an eight week beginner series. And we went to it, the first one of the session, and I'm not going to badmouth any tradition of yoga, but people might guess what tradition of yoga this is when I describe the teachers were really mean (laughs) and very dogmatic that there was one right way to do the postures and kind of forceful with our bodies. I just have this memory of like trying to be in trikonasana and having a block like kind of wedged against my foot in a way that made it very uncomfortable. Anyway, we both left the class in tears and 
my friend said she was never going back. And I'm like, well, I paid my own money. This was a big deal for this eight week series. I really want to try it again. So I went back the next week and it was even worse. And I left it like very much in tears, really unhappy. But I still had this feeling like in my heart that yoga was going to be helpful for me. So I bought a book and it was mostly just an asana book that described some different postures. And for the next 10 years, I practiced in my dorm rooms and wherever I could with just that one book and had pretty much a solo practice with me in the book. (laughs) And then when I sometime my first career path was in the theater arts. And so I did a conservatory actor training program in London and the school was very intense and all of the other students and actors in it were very intense. It was very emotional, lots of drama. And I was lucky enough that next door to the school was a art center that had yoga classes. And I, for the first time thought, well, let me try going back to class and see how it goes. So I started regularly attending yoga classes after my theater school classes and really just found that I really needed it for lots of reasons. But the biggest one was emotional, that all of the drama and the big feelings that were coming out in actor training that I found when I could go into this yoga studio and the lights were dark, I could let go of that outside judging eye on my body and on my experience and really just be inside my body and learn how to calm myself and learn how to be with myself in a really intimate and quiet way. And so I finished that training program with this feeling of like, I do want to pursue this career in the arts, but I know that I need yoga in order to be able to do that kind of work, in order to give myself the resiliency and the emotional support that the life in arts was going to require of me. So that was in London. I moved back to the Twin Cities and then I did a 200 hour teacher training immediately after coming back and started this sort of like life in my twenties of starving artist and starving yoga teacher. And it was great. It was amazing. I loved that time of my life, but I was sort of approaching my thirties being like, I've never had a steady paycheck. I have nothing saved for retirement. If I really want to start a family and have other goals in my life, I, I need to rethink things a little bit. And so I sat with sort of myself and thinking about different career options and realized that one of the things that I loved the most about yoga was helping people heal through yoga, but that I was constantly running into the limits of my knowledge that people would say, you know, I'm recovering from breast cancer. I hear yoga is good. What should I do? And I'd be like, I don't know, or I've had this injury. I'm trying to recover with yoga. What should I do? And like, I kind of sort of, no, I don't know. I don't know. And so the thought was that I would go to physical therapy school because I didn't know that yoga therapy was a thing and I'd never heard of that. So I went to PT school, very expensive yoga therapy training program. (laughs) But with this idea that I could become a physical therapist, use yoga to help people heal, I could work part-time and get a steady paycheck and have still time left in my life to have a family and to still continue working in theater and working in the arts. And so that's really what I did is that I went to school with the intention of becoming a yoga therapist and it was after I finished school that I realized that I heard about IAYT and was like, oh, yoga therapy, that's what I do. That's what should be calling this. And so I was able to do the portfolio review to become certified. And that's when sort of this work really started evolving of like blending this physical therapy approach or using 
physical therapy as a vehicle for yoga therapy. And then eventually I came to the job path that I described at Hennepin Healthcare of going from one-on-one they called it first holistic physical therapy. We were like a separate little specialty, but then that was when we were part of the, what they called the alternative medicine clinic, which had the chiropractors and acupuncturists and these holistic physical therapists all practicing together. And then they realized that alternative medicine was a very old fashioned term and didn't actually describe what they were doing. So they changed the name to the integrative medicine clinic and changed it to integrative physical therapy. And it was at the time there was myself and two other PTs, one who worked part-time and another PT that I worked very closely with, we started doing some inquiry as to like, well, if this is integrative physical therapy, how is that different from conventional physical therapy? And so we did some writing and crafted some mission statement and things like that to kind of help us better define ourselves. She was also a yoga teacher and yoga really informed what we thought of as integrative PT. And we always said like, it doesn't have to be yoga, but dot, 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 like, yoga has a lot to offer this. So that specialty has since evolved at Hennepin that now there's more integrative PTs and not all of them are yoga people, but there's still quite a few yoga people in the integrative PT specialty. That was like the long elevator ride for that question. (laughs) (laughs) I only have one more question. (laughs) No, but so many interesting things in there. I have, you know, people are always asking as they're considering going to our yoga therapy school, should I go become a PT or an OT? And I always say to them, well, do you have over a hundred thousand dollars? Cause it's a very expensive program. And are you up for that series of studies? But also what do you want to do when you get out? Do you want to go be a conventional PT? Because if you don't, I'm not sure you should take that route. What would you say to that? And are there enough places that hire integrative PTs or would you say just go become a yoga therapist? You know, I think it's very individual, very personal as far as what the best choice was. But I will say that when you approach physical therapy from this integrative whole person, body, mind, spirit, environment framework, you will never be at a loss for patients. Like people are hungry for this approach and rehab and physical therapy is a really nice fit for it. It's kind of nuts to me that more people haven't defined this and made it a more an actual board recognized specialty because it fits so well within the paradigm of physical therapy. And it fits really well in the paradigm of occupational therapy too, which again, it's surprising to me that that hasn't also been defined integrative occupational therapy. So I would say like, it's really a question of if people are like, oh, should I do PT school or yoga therapy certification? It is a question of how much resources are you willing to invest both financially and time-wise? Because for me, I had to go back to school to even apply. There were 12 of which I had taken two. I had taken a psychology class and thank God I had taken a stats class like in undergrad because I didn't want to have to retake that. But I did have to take calculus. I had to take a ton of like anatomy and physiology, chemistry, physics, like a lot that I had to go through just to apply to PT school. And then it's hard to get in. Yeah. It's a bigger time and investment. So you have to be willing to go through all of that. 
But I will say for me, what I wanted to get out of a physical therapy career was a career that offered me more financial stability and mm-hmm. offered me an avenue to do the kind of healing work that I wanted to do in the world. And it has totally been successful on that front. And I was still able to start a family and still able to maintain one little half of a limb in the world of theater. So I still have that work as part of my life too. Physical therapy for me was a great fit for what I needed. Yeah. So I know that you are very interested in yoga and the autonomic nervous system. Tell me how that fits into this picture for you, whether it's that you're doing yoga therapy or integrative PT or some combination of the two. How do you see that working into the work that you do? I think it's everything as far as the work that I do. I want a t-shirt that says like, I heart the autonomic nervous system. (laughs) I wonder how many friends I would make on the street with a t-shirt. I would buy like 50 of them. (laughs) But I, I feel like every aspect of yoga therapy and really every aspect of integrative PT is woven through the autonomic nervous system. Sometimes when people will ask like, and this will be a short elevator speech, I promise, of like, what's the difference between integrative PT and conventional PT? I tell them conventional PT is all about function, like getting you functioning better in your life. And that's great and important. And integrative PT, we also care about function, but we have kind of a deeper goal, which is really to help heal the body-mind connection, to help people reconnect with their deeper selves or create union, which is why, like I said, we... Like it doesn't have to be yoga, but it certainly can be when it comes to what that integrative PT process is. So finding that deeper connection with yourself. If you are not able to ride the hill of your autonomic nervous system and understand kind of how the stress response and the relaxation responses, how those are manifesting in your life, it's really hard to connect with your body in that way. So learning how to recognize, to manage, and to play with your stress response and with how you manage the stress of the world around you is everything in what I do. In reading some of what you've written, I also think that like helping people to understand their allostatic load and how that impacts, not only impacts your nervous system, but how your nervous system interacts with your allostatic load. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, and that like that idea of allostatic load or that idea of the wear and tear that stress brings onto our bodies and into our systems, it's really personal. Again, like all stress is very personal in the sense of a situation that's very stressful to one person, like say performing on stage, you know, although I would say that's still stressful for me, even though it's something that I seek out and love to do, it's still stressful, but less so than someone who has like, you know, massive, massive stage fright. For me, there's something really joyous about that experience for others, incredibly stressful. So that personal aspect to kind of how we manage or engage with stress. But then when we think of the, we can zoom out even further on a more kind of systemic and social determinants of health level and look at kind of all of the things that are stressors for people that not everyone experiences, stressors around the experience of racism, stressors around the experience of ableism, or really any kind of marginalized and minoritized group experiences stress in a different way than cultures and people who do not experience those stresses. So I would just say it's complex and it's very personal on how we kind of manage 
allostatic load, each of us. But at the end of the day, especially with a lot of the one-on-one care that I do, which is now a smaller part of my job, more of my work that I'm doing now is in groups. But with the one-on-one care, it's really about helping people recognize and unpack what are the things that are contributing to their allostatic load, whether they're internal or external, how to play with them, how to find that dance of being able to release some stress, how to manage the stress better in your body, and how to recognize when this is a stress that's coming really from the system. This metaphor, I'm borrowing it from Henry Emmons for anyone who knows his work, but he wrote The Chemistry of Calm and The Chemistry of Joy, wonderful, wonderful books. I did a training with him several years ago where he described resilience as a bucket. And he said like, so everyone's born with their bucket, say a different size, which is how much stress can your body handle? And the stress that's coming into your life is like water pouring into that bucket. And one way to help manage that static load is to have less stress, have less water in, take away things from the environment or your life that are causing stress. But another way to manage it is to grow a bigger bucket which is where, you know, in his work, it was mostly mindfulness practices and meditation practices, but where in my world, yoga practices are what build a bigger bucket of help me and help the people that I so honored to help is to help them grow that bigger bucket to be able to manage more. When I think of that bucket metaphor, I wanted to add one more layer to it, which is what is the support structure that the bucket is sitting on? Like I call it the wall, like what's the wall like? Because even if you have like not that much immediate stress pouring into your bucket, even if you have a really big solid bucket with lots of capacity to manage stress, if structurally you don't have what you need to thrive in your life, if that bucket is not on a solid surface, a good wall, it's going to tip over and it's going to overflow the same way that it would if it had too much water, if it was too small. So it's widening that lens to also just look at those systemic issues that are really causing people to suffer and causing more of that allostatic load, more of that wear and tear on our bodies from that stress response gone haywire. And that's where, to me, having this role as this program manager really helps to have that wider lens of like that we're not just working with individuals and we're not even just working with communities, but we're really trying to change the system around us and build a better wall that we can all thrive on. Let's talk about trauma and in dealing with people who are suffering from trauma, how do you use kind of a what I'm going to call trauma-sensitive approach. I don't know if those are the words we want to use, but how do we want to use that trauma-sensitive approach to kind of shape your interactions with people? Because you're working at Hennepin Hospital, taking yeah. people, anybody who walks in the door, I'm sure most people walk in with some trauma. How do you work with that? Well, one, we assume that everyone walking through the door has experienced some form of trauma in their lives. It's the exception, not the rule of someone that I would encounter in my work who has not experienced trauma. And, you know, it's interesting because I had read a ton about trauma and I had lots of conversations with the providers about trauma-informed care and done some trauma-informed care trainings. But it wasn't until I did like a dedicated trauma-sensitive yoga training that For me, more of the dots got connected of really understanding how to approach people with more of that trauma-sensitive lens. And I did the training because we have a center at Hennepin called the Red Leaf Center for Family Healing, 
which among other programs that the Red Leaf Center has, they have a mother baby day hospital where people who are pregnant or people who I'm like trying to find the most like gender inclusive terms for it of like people who have had a baby and that baby is three or under and they're in a mental health crisis they have a day hospital program where it's an intensive group therapy environment. And it's mostly for people who are either coming down off of a hospitalization for a suicide attempt or other severe, you know, postpartum psychosis, things like that, or they're trying to avoid a hospitalization for these issues. So lots of trauma and lots of really heartbreaking mental health issues going on with these parents. And so a group of PTs came on to do this trauma-sensitive yoga program. So they wanted us to all go through a trauma-sensitive yoga training before doing it, which I was really grateful that they required that because that training was pretty life-changing on how I approach things. So it's a lot of, especially doing it in a group, it's a lot of the practices that I'm sure a lot of listeners already know about of things like offering up choices for any practice that you offer and invitational language, no touching, really respecting boundaries. And also it's an ability to kind of read the room, let the group lead which is something that has really informed my one-on-one care as well, or even other groups that I am a part of that aren't part of this trauma-sensitive yoga program. But I've kind of described it as like, I don't even think of myself as a healer anymore. I go with different metaphors. Some days I'm going to use the one today of like, I'm more like a flashlight or the other metaphor I'll be like, I'm like a garbage person that I'm not doing the healing work. The people are doing the healing work. Like I'm not healing anything. All I'm doing is helping to show people an option or a pathway, like a flashlight would of like, here's a road ahead. Um, you're going to have to walk down it, but I'm going to help you see your way there. And I'm going to be the garbage person getting some of these obstacles out of your way. So it's a little easier for you to walk down this path. Yoga classes really that we teach in the day hospital. It's a lot of like reading the room of being like, okay, well here I'm offering, like you could do this practice in the chair or you could get on the ground and here we could try this or that. And then like no one's moving and they're all just staring at me with like, kind of deer in the headlights eyes and be like, okay, well, let's think of something else then. And then let's maybe eat yoga nidra today. Let's do like a guided relaxation practice or let's, you know, offer up. So it's like having to constantly like, all right, or suddenly every baby in the room is crying and needs to feed like, okay, well, let's think about, let's maybe offer up some breathing practices that we can do that can help calm our nervous systems and help settle us while we're breastfeeding. And, you know, so again, it's like every moment you just- Moms and the babies are in there together. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's- some days, every day, every moment is different, but it's really wonderful. I would say that's my favorite part of my job is going to a red leaf and doing those classes with the moms and the babies, even though it's also the most challenging part of my job of many days. You'd have to really trust yourself to know that I am reading the room correctly. I'm having cultural humility. I'm just kind of being open to whatever is in this moment. And I trust myself enough to figure it out in that moment. Yeah. Well, and it's also letting go of me being the expert, you know, they're the experts on their bodies. They're the experts. I'll tell them sometimes like, think of me like, as if you were a 
professor and I'm a lesson plan and you decide what parts of this lesson plan you want to have in your lesson today. What's relevant for you? You pick it out and then you figure out how to make it work for you. That kind of teaching style, my PhD was with a man named John Nichols, who basically said the students should show up and inform what we're going to do today. And everybody thought that, you know, back in the eighties that or early nineties, they thought, well, that's an unprepared teacher. That's not, mm. you know, having it all together. And, and some students were even really bothered by that, but I believe in what you're saying. I believe every, I mean, we may have a plan going in, but every group of students should tell us how to move forward and what is relevant to them. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially in the one-on-one care, that's where a lot of the motivational interviewing and those skills come very hand-in-hand with trauma-informed care. A lot of the time, again, of that idea of this partnership between you and the client or you and the patient and empowering them to be the expert in their own care and in their own lives, asking permission, which I feel like you can't do enough in the world in general, but getting comfortable with asking permission was something that I definitely had to get over. And it's weird to say that it's uncomfortable to ask permission, but for things in like physical therapy, you sort of assume sometimes like, oh, people know that they're going to be touched when you come into a physical therapy practice. And so it took me a while to be like, oh no, not everyone knows that. And even if they do know that, it's still best practice to ask permission before you touch someone. So that's definitely like, again, it's a journey. I wouldn't say that I'm the best practitioner in the world at trauma-informed care, but I am on a learning journey with it. And have you ever had a complete failure that you'd be willing to share where you just totally didn't do what you had hoped you could do? Yeah, I've had lots. I would say that the story that hurts my heart the very most or the first that comes to mind when you ask that question early on when I first started working at Hennepin, like I said, like I got very busy very fast because people, once they hear there's physical therapy where I can learn about yoga, I can, you know, a lot of the hands-on work I do is really very gentle, very different than conventional physical therapy, manual therapy based in kind of myofascial and craniosacral, really gentle hands-on work. And so once that the word got around that kind of practice was happening, I got very busy. And so my schedule, it was hard because someone would come in and then I would try and get a follow-up scheduled with them, but I'm full for the next three months. And when I first started practicing, I didn't know all of the games and the tricks that you can do to sneak people in on the schedule. I wasn't savvy enough. And this gentleman came to see me for back pain. And he told me his story that he had been recently incarcerated, was just released and was having trouble finding housing because nobody would give him housing. He was having trouble finding a job because he was had a felony and he couldn't get a job. So he was sleeping in his car and he had been sleeping on these terrible beds in prison and he had just awful, awful back pain. So I listened to this heartbreaking story and, you know, I told him like, I think I can help you. Here are some initial ideas right off the bat of how we can get you positioned in your car, maybe more comfortably and some little things that you can do. I taught him some belly breathing of like what he can do for his back, but we ran out of time. And then I just said like, I don't have any more openings until three more months from now, but I would like you to make appointments. We can do this work, like blah, blah, blah. Like, but I just, if I could go back in time, I would have been like, Catherine, just like 
figure out how to steam over your lunch hour. Like it's okay. Like you would have found a slot for him if I had known how to work the system, but I had only had the job a couple of months. I just didn't know. And of course he never came back for his visits. And I think about that man all the time, all the time. It just hurts my heart of that. Like system wise, I just didn't know how to play the game and how to manage my schedule in a way that was going to help him. I think we all have those clients that we just didn't know what we didn't know. Yeah. Has there ever been a client that you could talk about using, you know, if you need to use different genders or ages or races to show a remarkable outcome that you had with a client that was like, wow, this stuff works. Luckily, I have lots of those. You know, there have been times in the work at Redleaf where someone, you know, when you're offering up all these different options and choices, sometimes people's practice is very personal and they might not actually move their body a lot, but they might still be engaging in the practice in a really deep way. And there have been several times where people who from the outside, I'm like, oh, they're really not into this. They're not doing a lot, blah, blah, blah. When they graduate the program at the end, they'll comment to me about how meaningful and powerful the practice was for them. And that's really humbling too, to know, like you can't see always from the outside, what benefit they're getting on the inside. And it's just so powerful to see like, wow, they must've really connected with this work on a very deep level that they didn't have to move their body in order to have it be meaningful to them. So that's so cool when that happens. And there've been other times when people who come in with either really dysregulated nervous systems, really stress that's out of control in their bodies. And in the one-on-one sessions, like we dim the lights, we breathe, I do the gentle manual therapy, we do some gentle movement work maybe, we talk about their lives and about where they're struggling and kind of have that therapeutic listening. And they leave the room like so much better. And they went in and it's like magic every time it happens. And that again, like you can call it integrative physical therapy and you can call it yoga therapy and you would not be wrong either way. You know, you had answered some questions for me coming into this interview and the theme that I saw with several of the answers you put, I don't know if you intended this, but you over and over talked about being free of judgment about your clients. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. That is also a work in progress that <laughs> I am learning about myself. But I will say on that journey, like when I started practicing, one of the questions that we always have to ask people is that zero out of 10 pain score. Like what zero out of 10, how much pain are you in? Zero, no pain, 10, the worst pain you could ever imagine. And as a young PT doing this work, whenever people would say, I'm 10 out of 10, I'm 10 out of 10, I would like look at them and judge them and be like, you're talking to me, you're moving around, you're not 10 out of 10. You could experience more pain right now. Like you're not at your maximum. And so I would sit back and judge them and be like, oh, they're not really 10 out of 10. And then like the more I started hearing from people, I'm 10 out of 10, I'm 10 out of 10. I started hearing something else in that, which was, you're telling me you're 10 out of 10 because your pain has been ignored. 
and you don't want me to ignore your pain. You're telling me you're 10 out of 10 because you want me to hear you and you want me to believe you and see you. And every time my judgy brain is being like, you're not 10 out of 10, like I could poke you and you'd hurt more. Like you're not 10 out of 10. I'm doing you a a great disservice because I'm minimizing your symptoms. So I, now when I hear 10 out of 10, I pour all of my energy into hearing their story and to really trying better to to let them know that I care and that I hear them and that I'm going to help them in any way that I can. So that's one example of the journey that I'm on with my own bias. There's another time where, again, to de-identify people, I would just say that a patient came to see me who was a woman and the way that she was dressed when she walked into the room, there was a lot of skin showing. (laughs) And I think it was like a ripped up, like heavy metal t-shirt that she was wearing. And like immediately, again, not in any like hugely negative way, but I start making assumptions about who she is. And then I ask like, well, what do you do for a living? And she was literally literally a rocket scientist, literally an aeronomic engineer, a rocket scientist. And in my mind, seeing how she was dressed, I would have gotten that wrong on a multiple choice test. I would have not imagined that she was literally a rocket scientist. And she was. I think of that often when I start to see a patient and I start to create a story in my mind just based on how they're dressed or how they appear. Like I tell myself, they're probably a rocket scientist, Catherine, like really (laughs) check yourself here. So yeah, on a learning journey with how to recognize my own bias and not let it get in the way of patient care. I think there's something here that is very controversial that I'm going to say, but I really wouldn't mind digging into it for a minute. The idea of trauma-informed yoga or trauma-sensitive yoga, I think there's a very fine line there between learning how to be present to people who have experienced serious trauma But on the other hand, not making generalizations about them that they're going to want it this way, or they need to sit over here, or they need to have Mm -hmm. you say this to them, or they can't put their arms up over their head for some reason. Like that is a really fine line for me that I struggle with. How do we learn to become better caretakers, but not generalize things so much that we're actually working from biases again? Yeah. Right. Not assuming that you know what's best for them. Right. Or how it will be perceived by them. For example, one of my students had gone to a trauma-informed training and was saying, you know, if you're working with XYZ person, don't have them put their hands up overhead because that may make them feel like they feel when there's the police around. Mm -hmm. I just cringed at that. I was like, oh goodness, I don't want to go to that story for every human being that has this color skin or this gender or, you know, this age, like, I don't want to assume that. Yeah. I think in some ways, assuming that it takes you out of a trauma-informed space, because again, it's making you the expert in their experience, not them. So like my counterpoint to that would be like, yeah, maybe, maybe that could come up for someone and maybe it wouldn't. And one, you can't avoid triggering people. It's unavoidable. People are going to be triggered. And it's a matter of, can you create a safe container so that when it happens, people know what to do? And can you give them, like offer up some skills and some training around when it happens, here's some options of what you can do. I would be maybe controversial too to be in your camp, Amy, and say like, there's no one like, 
pose that needs to be avoided in all situations. There's no one practice that should never be done with this, you know, a certain population that in, to my mind, in a true trauma-informed approach is letting people be their own experts and letting them experience for themselves how they experience the practices and then make a decision themselves, an empowered decision around how to manage it and how to proceed. Exactly. And I think a lot of that goes back to we as care providers feeling safe in our nervous system to be in the moment and be present with whatever might come up. Yeah. Which is easier said than done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) That's a lifetime of work right there. Yeah. That's true trauma sensitive care, though. I think. Yeah. Right. Totally. So we're getting close to the end here. Is there any research or education? You had mentioned, I think, Robert Saper's work. Well, he's someone who I just find his work very exciting. Dr. Saper's research around not just doing it on white people. And so he's done some research looking at, I believe it's called the back to health trial, looking at yoga and physical therapy and sort of comparing the two for people with chronic lower back pain in particular. And so there's been several things published within that back to health trial, but the gist of the work was showing that yoga and physical therapy were pretty equivalent for Mm -hmm. outcomes when it came to people with chronic lower back pain. And in my mind, my next step is like, yeah, but what if you combine them? Then what is it? Like that's because that's where, again, that's my integrative PT soapbox of like, what if we weren't putting physical therapy versus yoga? What if we were smushing them together? And would the sum of the parts be greater than the whole be greater than the sum of the parts? And again, since integrative physical therapy isn't a board recognized specialty, although, you know, I were chatting about the wonderful Marlisa Sullivan, who I know that you've interviewed on this podcast and everyone should listen to that interview because it's fantastic. But Marlisa and I, and a couple of other physical therapists around the country have written a paper together on integrative physical therapy that should be coming out pretty soon in the physical therapy journal, physical therapy and rehabilitation journal, PTJ is what it's called for short. That's what it's called on the streets, PTJ. Based around this idea of integrative physical therapy is not board recognized. Anyone can say they're doing it. And maybe we need to think about what it is and put some definitions around it and start to define it and think about it. So the article, it's a perspective article really based around this idea of creating a dialogue and some inquiry around what integrative physical therapy is and what it could be. It's so interesting because this morning I interviewed OT from St. Paul, Minnesota, who is saying the exact same thing. She's a holistic occupational therapist and has like 6,000 OTs in her Facebook group interested in holistic OT. Yeah. She said the same thing. There's no guidelines around it. And it seems to me like both PT and OT would really benefit from having this subgroup of integrative or holistic. Yeah. You know, physical therapy and occupational therapy are so entrenched in conventional healthcare systems. Like it's such a mainstream conventional profession. 
I described this once to a chiropractor colleague of mine who he says that he's been spending his whole career like knocking on the door of mainstream medicine, being like, please let me in. And I told him, I'm like, I'm on the other side of the door knocking on it. Please let me out. (laughs) Get me out of here. I want to go into these integrative spaces. And we're both meeting in the doorway and here we are working together. And I think occupational therapy is very similar. Like it's very entrenched in this insurance model in healthcare systems and conventional care. Although I would say that occupational therapy is by nature, even more holistic by nature than physical therapy is. I think physical therapy has further to travel to get into this integrative space than OT does. But that said, I think that it's a better fit than people might think. And I think a lot of yoga therapists are worried that because integrative PT or the holistic OT is like taking the jobs that they could have but I think there is a place for a yoga therapist. And, you know, back to the research that we just mentioned, if taking a low back group yoga class is equivalent to receiving physical therapy, isn't it more cost effective to have a functional group low back class of yoga with similar outcomes? I would say yes. Yes, it is more cost effective. And again, when you have it in a group, then you have the healing power of being in community, which, and there's some physical therapy happens in groups, but not most of it. Most of it is happening individually. Again, I'm lucky because in my current job, we have grant funding that allows me to be part of group medical visits. So I'm doing a lot of collaborating with integrative physicians. They will bill for this group medical visit, but I get to be present to offer up a yoga therapy perspective, to offer up movement and breathing practices and meditation practices. And I don't think we've talked about this yet. Outside of my training in PT and yoga therapy, I also did a two-year fellowship in integrative medicine with the Academy for Integrative Health and Medicine. And so I offer up some of the training and expertise on integrative medicine topics from that training as well. But getting to be in group, the healing that happens in community is something you can't replicate in one on one care. Absolutely. I can't remember like the one group that I was in just last month, someone mentioned something. It was a group for people who experience chronic pain and persistent pain. And someone shared a story and someone else said, that happened to me too, or I feel the same. And then another person says, yes, I feel the same. And then the first person said, I thought I was the only one. And then there was like this chorus of everyone else in the room saying, I thought I was the only one. Like that moment I got teary eyed and I was just like, this is why we're together, why we're here. You are not the only one. None of us is the only one. You could say that to somebody in a one-on-one encounter and be like, you're not alone. Lots of people, it's very common. You know, you can say that, but it's not the same as being present with a group of people that really get you and really feel what you feel spontaneously, you know, imagine going in there that day and feeling alone and isolated and like nobody would understand. And then having one by one, the people in the room, I mean, you're making me teary, right? It's amazing. Well, Catherine, thank you for sharing all of your beautiful work with us. I want to bring up on the screen now, for those of you who watch us on YouTube or on the the Patreon channel, we have your website up here called www.artofwellness.yoga, whole person wellness. So in addition to your job at the hospital, do you also take private sessions? 
Yeah. So I have my own private practice that kind of all of the work outside of the hospital falls under. So it's sort of an umbrella company that I created to kind of hold this, all the other things that I do. So sometimes it's, I'll see clients for one-on-one care. I also will sometimes do some group work with people, doing some wellness talks or wellness workshops. This is where my work as the associate editor of the International Journal of Yoga Therapy kind of falls under this freelance work as well. And then I also have an Insight Timer. I'm a teacher on Insight Timer, run meditation courses on there as well. And yeah, all of the other kind of random things that I do kind of all falls under the art of wellness. And so we have the art of wellness.yoga as your website. But then on Instagram, we also have the art of wellness. Yep. Wellness.yoga on Instagram. And then and on Facebook, just Facebook art of yoga therapy. Yep. Art of yoga therapy on Facebook. I know I should try and get all these names the same at one point, but You're pretty close. I think if you thought that, it, they, would, they would find it. Well, thank you. I know we're dipping into your evening hour with your family. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. I know our audience will benefit from this interview and want to thank you for the work that you're doing with the International Journal of Yoga Therapy as the associate editor also. Thank you so much. I'm like a fan of your work. So it's really like very touching that you would have asked me to be on. And I feel kind of like tingly. I feel tingly. Oh, the, I uh, do too. And I can't wait to meet you in person. I know. Right. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you to Catherine for joining us today. And there were so many really interesting parts to this interview. But the thing that spoke to me that is closest to my heart was this idea of having a t-shirt that says, I love the autonomic nervous system. If Catherine is going to let me, I'm going to make some t-shirts with that. She says, it's everything. The autonomic nervous system is everything. And learning how to regulate our autonomic nervous system is everything. And I tell our students at the Optimal State Yoga Therapy School this all the time. This is what our entire program is based around, that we can learn to manage our stress response. We can learn to manage coming in and out of the relaxation response, the rest in the digest response. We can learn to work with our allostatic load, as Catherine said, either to make your bucket bigger or to lessen the amount of water that's pouring into your bucket. There's many ways or to give your bucket that stable foundation, that wall that it's sitting on so it doesn't tip over. I think this is the sweet spot or the superpower for yoga therapists. I think this is what we need to claim. We know how to use postures. We know how to use breathing. We know how to use meditation and many other tools in our tool basket to regulate the autonomic nervous system, which as most of us know, is an important part when it's dysregulated, almost every disease process out there from high blood pressure to diabetes, to heart disease, to Parkinson's, all the different nervous system disorders, chronic pain, autoimmune disorder. Think about how many of those conditions are really, really strongly impacted by dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system. And it's only getting worse. Things like POTS, things like long COVID. I see that yoga therapists, if we can claim this as our thing that we do, our superpower, I think Western medicine is gonna figure this out And we are going to find many, many jobs in the near future. I think the word is starting to get out there. And that's why 
I've really built our optimal state yoga therapy school around the autonomic nervous system as the main thing that we do. So I am really excited about this idea of I heart the autonomic nervous system t-shirts. If you are too, maybe we can get a group together and make an order. And I just want to say thank you to Catherine for being with us today and for kind of advocating for the importance of autonomic nervous system regulation and how we as yoga therapists are really, really good at helping people to do that. All right, everybody have a great day. Thank you for listening this week and we'll see you next week. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.